get your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 25. Welcome, I'm Pastor Ed, one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in a series. This is the third one in the series called More Than a Building. It's challenging us how we think about church. And I think uh, Pastor Derek's opening statement to launch the whole uh, series when he says it's all about glorifying God. So to sum up, uh, the reason that we exist here is really to bring glory to God. The, the question is how do we go about it is really what we need to work through and decide. So when we think about our purpose or mission or uh, purpose is to glorify God, my definition is our challenge, we want to awaken people's affection for God so that they reflect God's greatness. Awaken your affections. Emotions are a part of a person's devotion or um, uh, a passion for God, because in that, it emanates out, and people see that this view of God is far greater. It's more than just a formula, an intellectual formula. So the question we have to ask, how does a church then bring glory to God? How do we go about it? And we had this opening statement that Pastor Derek, that we're using as a template to work from, uh, to guide us in this series. It's about, I think, eight eight parts to this series. Faith Church is a family of growing Jesus followers who are on mission together. The first week when we launched this series, Pastor Derek dealt with the missions part, saying we are a sent people. Sometimes we get the thought and the attitude that we accept Jesus Christ for salvation. Okay, that's true, but a lot of us stop there and we think, okay, I'm saved, I'm in. God has a much more grand and glorious opportunity for you that far exceeds just your salvation. He says, I have a purpose, I have a mission, I have something that I want you to accomplish and to do, to get excited about. And so that was that uh, first one. Then he dealt with growing. Part of the, the purpose of the church is for individuals to grow in Jesus Christ and for us to grow corporately as a group, and in that we glorify God. And this morning, Pastor Derek invited me to speak on this uh, concept of faith church is a family. It's a family, and that's why the statement up there, the church when we relate as family, we glorify God. Now, let me just make sure we're clear. You know, this idea of church, certainly in our culture, it's really come, uh, both in non-Christian and Christian, to more, uh, uh, I think, conjure up ideas of this building. The actual word for church in the New Testament, ekklesia, just meant a gathering of people, an assembly of people that have been called out. They share something in common, and they're being called out for this common purpose. We see in Acts, I think it's about 19, where Paul was causing a stir, and there was a, what they would call an unruly mob that was opposed to Paul because his message was starting to work against their wealth of making idols. And they wanted the legal entities to do something about it to squelch Paul. And they 
invited them. They were inviting to call them out, this unruly mob, this assembly, for the purpose of bringing about a charge against Paul at Kuglesia. So the only thing about this word church is it's a group of people that are being called out of the world for us as followers of Jesus Christ who are being followed uh, who are being called out of the world to follow Jesus Christ. In fact in Ephesians they didn't refer to themselves as a church they were the way the way and so the way we glorify God, you know, certainly it's appropriate to, because certainly culturally it's in our thinking about a building or organization or, or structure to, to think of church in, in those entities, but where we really glorify God when we relate as family. That is where we bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Biologically, we understand family. Family is those uh, relationships based on common ancestor. Well, in Hebrews 2.11, we read this scripture that uh, brings us together as family, as followers of Jesus Christ, is we all share the same sanctifier, the person who sets us apart and makes us right before God. If you have responded to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ is your sanctifier. The scripture verse here in Hebrews 2.11 tells us, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. I picked this because of one source. Just like biologically, we understand biological families based on common ancestor. Spiritually, the same thing. That means your family. Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with me. Because I too, okay, despite my stubbornness, despite my personality, despite my allegiance to the Oregon Ducks, you're stuck. We're still family. My allegiance to the Oregon Ducks doesn't kick me out of your family. Is somebody... <laughs> You know, we see this throughout Scripture, this idea of family, and we often hear terms about the household of God. We're told we're not aliens or foreigners any longer, but we now, if you receive Jesus Christ as your sanctifier, you now are part of the household of God or the family of God. Galatians tells us, uh, give every opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those of the household of faith. I thought, you know, that's kind of peculiar. Why the household of faith? We put so much emphasis on outside. It's because of the relationships inside. And how we relate as family bears the greatest testimony to anybody outside the four walls here. We are a family. If you have responded to Jesus Christ. Two things we're going to look at this morning from Hebrews 19, 22 to 25. The first one in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, I put good theology as the basis for healthy families that glorify God. So in other words, good families, you know, how they operate, what is the basis? It's 
good theology. It's understanding good theology and it's how it works itself through their minds. It's how it informs them how as a family they ought to operate. When I say family, you can, you know, whether it's your biological, you know, if you're raising kids, whether it's that family, a biological family, or more what I'm thinking of is church family and not just the large church family, but how we go about creating um, uh, other units, as you will see why it's critical. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of those, what we call gospel community groups. And again, don't get stuck on the name of a group. It's really what is the purpose or the function of that group is what you will see. You know, is the purpose or the function of the group to take theology and see it practically worked out to where people are starting to assimilate it in their life and it starts to emanate out of their pores and people just see it and feel it? Are they committed to the working it out in a family context that brings about transformation that just flows Hebrews, well, jumping ahead of myself, the second thing here, I'm sorry, uh, second thing here from Hebrews, then that will do the application, you know, good theology is the basis for healthy families that glorify God, okay, what's the practical application, what does that look like, what do these families do that might bring about a healthiness that glorify God will be where we end up. Uh, healthy families remember that knowledge is not the end goal. Knowledge is important. Knowledge needs to be elevated. Knowledge needs to be highly regeared, regarded, but it's not the end goal. Like I started out, glorifying God is the end goal. Knowledge is a vehicle or a tool to help people get there. It's not the end. It means we need to continue on. I, I think to some degree in the Enlightenment area, we call, you know, where there was just this proliferation of knowledge. We became so enraptured with knowledge. We thought we could master anything, that we could learn and know anything, that we put such a, a, um, a value upon it is knowing, a mastery of facts that we even, to some degree, within Christian education brought that in, or discipleship, we have uh, accommodated ourselves to that. We unknowingly made it the end. We, now, we know how to teach about love in an academic setting, but we are baffled how to teach a person to be loving. You parents, I know this is on your heart. You can give them 1 Corinthians 13. You can have them memorize it, and that's important. But I know your purpose, your desire for your child is to go far beyond the memory of it. You're trying to figure out, okay, how do I incorporate this into a practice so that it becomes assimilated and starts to work itself out is the bigger challenge. That's the same challenge we're asking as a church family. Because that's what we want for followers of Jesus Christ. Because we know that's what glorifies God. The purpose is not to make your life better. That will happen. That's a natural byproduct of glorifying God and following his purpose. Paul warns us about making knowledge the end. When he says knowledge puffs up, love builds up. 
1 Corinthians 13, if I have all knowledge but not love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. So we're looking here at Hebrews to uh, understand about healthy families that glorify God. What do they practice? What do they do? How might that inform us how we operate here at Faith Church as a church family? So Hebrews, you know, the first nine verses, first 10 verses up to this pivotal point where we're at, let me get a little drink here. I told the others, don't, don't worry, just it seems like with uh, aging process, uh, I, I get drier for some reason when I speak, so some lubrication. Um, Hebrews is the name fixed to this letter, even though we're not certain both who it's written to or the writer. But what we believe, and we call it Hebrews because in the first century when it was first penned, that's the name because of the content of it is highly uh, familiar with the Old Testament and it would appear as though he was directing his comments to Jews who received Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 1 to 10, oh, chapter 1 to 10, 19 is really a great Old Testament history that would make the Jews proud in terms of the, the, higher, the heroes of the faith of the Jews. But he says they were not a perfect sanctifier. He was telling them uh, that even Abraham, Moses, Joshua, the high priest, the old covenant, animal sacrifices did not sanctify. All of those pointed to the perfect sanctifier. The one who would sanctify, pay a price, a sacrifice once for all, and that is Jesus Christ. And so his whole message is, yes, your, your history is rich, appreciate the history, but understand all of that is pointing to the perfect sanctifier. So despite some of your other Jewish kindred who haven't received Jesus Christ, hold fast to your faith in Christ because he's a superior sanctifier. Don't go back on your commitment. And so he starts here then in verse 19, and we see the first theological truth that I think is a, a, a basis that informs us what healthy families do. And the first one is we just have accessibility to God. So I, theological truth one, accessibility to God from Hebrews 10, 19. Look there with me. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers... Brothers, again, he's thinking of family, not people, not brothers, phileo, brotherly kindred. Therefore, brothers, since we're united by the same sanctifier, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So all of that Old Testament they could not provide that, but Jesus Christ has. Since we have confidence, some people prefer to use the word authorization. Because sometimes when we, some of your versions may say boldness, because when we say confidence or boldness, sometimes we may equate a certain emotional state to it. You know, like I got to go into the boss's office, well, I feel confident and bold. We feel a feeling that I can, because other times we may feel not confident, not bold. That's why they prefer authorization. 
regardless how you feel, you are authorized. And let an understanding of this so seep down into you to where you know you're authorized that you can go boldly and confidently. Go boldly, confidently. Go knowing you have been authorized to enter the most holy place where you have been forgiven in the past. Why can you do that now? The blood of Jesus, it says. By the blood of Jesus. So hold fast. And then he tells him in verse 20, by a new and living way. A new way. It can also be a fresh way. Not the way you've been accustomed to for years with animal sacrifices time and time again. It's not going to be another animal sacrifice. It's a new way. It's a person in the flesh, a human being who actually is God incarnate. And this sacrifice not only is a fresh new way, but a living way. The animal, when it was sacrificed, it was dead. They would have to go get another sacrifice, kill it, and it was dead. This sacrifice was killed but came back to life in three days and is living, a living sacrifice. And because of that, you who were afar from God, you now have the opportunity, the invitation to be near to God Because he opened a way, it tells us in verse 20, he opened a way for us through the curtain that is his body. The priest, when he went in to represent the Jews, would brush the curtain back, and this was only once a year, and go into the Holy of Holies. Jesus Christ tore that curtain, that separation. It's no longer. So hold fast. The second theological truth here is advocacy. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we have a high priest. Before it was the high priest of a human that would represent you. Now Jesus Christ, God himself is sitting there, the right hand representing you. And despite our sin, still, despite receiving Jesus Christ, we still have that thread of rebellion and stubbornness. And Jesus Christ represents us as one of his children on our behalf, his advocacy. It's because of that we can go boldly. We can go boldly. But notice, not just to go in. Now, here's what's radical for us. It's not just to go in, but notice the invitation in verse 22. Let us draw near to God. Think about it. You know, it's one thing for us because we're not steeped in a culture like the Jews, but just think how how terrified they were perhaps of that Holy of Holies. I hear today even the Orthodox Jew, there are sections there in Jerusalem where they won't tread on the land and they are forbidden because of this sense of awe and separation or distance from God. If anything, we got to work on our complacency We're so accustomed to uh, uh, being authorized and we can go boldly. But because of what Jesus Christ done, we can draw near to God. Think of the other cultures and their sense of God was to appease the God, to try to diminish the wrath of the God. That's not our God. 
He wants us to draw. He wants us to draw near more than we want to draw near ourselves. Draw near to God. It's all possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's about understanding why he died to sanctify you and receiving it. And once you do, the cross changes everything. In our study in Galatians, that's a study we did in the fall. The tagline we use with that study, grace changes everything. We can say the same thing about the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ changes everything. You were far from God. Now he's inviting you to draw near. The cross changes everything because it's the manifestation of grace. It's a visible expression. It's a tangible one that people were able to see grace practically worked out that was being extended to all of mankind. And so that's why we know God is a God of grace. It's because of the cross. And as we allow that to saturate down through our being, it does start to change everything about us. But the question then we have, you know, the important theology, great theology. But I think we all ask, so what? How do we as a church family practically... How do we practically help one another to allow these uh, theological truths begin to percolate down through our being to where they, it starts to change everything? And it's more than just an intellectual idea, a, a concept. It becomes uh, who we are. How do we do it? Well, the, the quick answer is the work of the Spirit, and that's true. But it's far beyond that. Uh, well, no, 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 scratch that. It's the work of the Spirit, period. But there's something you can do. There's something that God, I think, if we understand that God has ordained and we enter and embrace it, we'll begin to see some of the outworking of the Spirit um, in helping us as a family member participate and glorify God. So that's where we're headed. But look, jump over to verse 25. Because we have this verse here, uh, but let us not give up meeting together. Let us not get up meeting together. You know, we often uh, use that verse kind of in relation to this gathering here on Sunday morning. It's important that you come every week and, and you be here for uh, corporate worship. But it's really uh, much more than just that. That's true. But starting at verse 22, right after the recitation of the accessibility and advocacy of God, we go into this list of about four or five exhortations. Let us, look at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a true heart. Let us, in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Verse 24, let us consider Verse 24 uh, then goes, let us stir up. Let us then in verse 25, let us encourage one another. Let us is in a plural. It means the speaker speaking and those he's speaking to. So in light of this great theology, how are we going to let us, how are we going to practically work this out so that we are drawing near to God? 
And as we draw near to God, we reflect God's grandeur and we glorify him. I don't know, especially the last three, which are the three we are going to focus on. Let us consider, let us stir up, and let us encourage one another. I don't know any way you can give a, okay, you, you can challenge me on this later, not publicly, how you can seriously give this uh, uh, consideration inside to where it actually gains traction outside of some smaller community than this corporate gathering. Let us not forsake the gathering together is not just what happens here on Sunday morning. It's recognizing that God has a way to help us draw near to God by understanding family and family dynamics that will help bring that about. That family unit, do not forsake engaging in family for that purpose. So let's look at these. And, and I think you'll see practically um, God's process or, or the way he brings this about, you know, through the spirit working through this uh, vehicle. Verse 24, uh, again, we're just looking at three of them because I think it, it more shows us the importance of a f smaller gathering. You know, often here at Faith, we call it a gospel community. And again, the name's not important. It's the purpose and function. You know, it's the purpose and function to take theology, not just take theology, but take theology and see it incorporated into the life. You know, that's what we want to see with these gospel communities. So the first one in verse 24 is, first, just let us consider. So when a family gets together, the first thing they have to do is to consider we're so quick to rush in and try to fix things and fix people. We're so quick to rush in and assume we know that we jumped the gun. This tells us a good family takes a step back and becomes observant. They want to understand the, the person, what makes them, uh, where they're at in this uh, stage of their life. We are looking to consider for the purpose of God's Spirit directing how we could effectively minister in a way that helps them to draw nearer to God. Let us consider. It's the same thing you as parents do. You think about it. You know, each child is different, and some of you are pulling your hair out because you're wondering, how do I get through to this child? And so you're making observations. You're trying to develop a, a strategy whereby they can take 1 Corinthians that they memorize, but now you want it to become assimilated into their life. And, okay, how do we work this out? Because our goal is that they become a loving person for life. And that's what families do. To come to appreciate one another, not to analyze each other. Come to appreciate the uniqueness and how each one of us may learn a little differently what each one of us needs to, spur, to move us on, which is the next one in 24. So we, we have to consider, considering is so important because the next one is to stir us up. Or at least my version says, verse 24, let us consider, respect one another, understand one another, how we may, well, my version says, spur one another. Some say incite. Spur one another. 
Now, you know, I don't ride horses, but I know what a spur is on a cowboy boot. You know, sometimes horses, if they're not moving or going in the wrong direction, uh, the role of the cowboy boot is to uh, kind of stick it in its side. Healthy families do that for each other. We don't want to be a burr to one another, which is the rough edges that are left. They're not intended to be there. Really, a burr, when you're a burr to somebody, that is really more about you. You're looking out for something about yourself. A spur is when you considered, and then in the appropriate way, in a context of incredible grace, you can speak the hard things. Do you have a family like that? Do you have a family that so sees this value that you can actually start welcoming it? Because you begin to realize how you are your own worst enemy. You don't even see the things that are self-sabotaging about yourself. You don't see, we know our sins are hard for us to see. We'd like to deny them. And that's where, in appropriate way, we invite. We invite people. We give them the freedom to spur us on one to another. You know, what does that look like? That's partly what groups are having to work out. That's why Pastor Derek said there's often within even a, a gospel community of subgroups that come out where maybe that spurring actually takes place. Again, what you're going to have to do is wipe it off your mind that this is a negative. Don't let the truth hurt to the point you try to ignore or deny it. So part of the role of a family is appropriately, in a lovingly way, it's the most loving thing you can do, is to be open to spurring, inciting, creating enough agitation that maybe a person is willing to make a corrective effort. See, we see here, uh, particularly in verses uh, 24 and 25, we, we see what's going on where he says, uh, let us love and encourage one another. Twice we see this one another. This is mutuality. Mutuality. Sometimes we uh, perhaps diminished the importance of God's design to help people and families become healthier is through the mutuality of ministry. We may have gotten so dependent upon uh, uh, the expert, the know-it-all, that we haven't had our ears open at the right time for how God uses the ministry of mutuality to speak into our life. Because often those life-transforming uh, uh, understandings happen not in the four walls of this congregation or, or in this uh, time frame. This ministry of mutuality will often surprise you if you are open to receive it. Our challenge is to cultivate the environment where we come expecting how God might use somebody out here to speak to me. Not always in confrontation or, or the spurring, so don't check out yet. But that's why one another, there is not, not just the preaching by the, the pastor that will help you grow. It's not just a counselor. See, perhaps we've gotten so dependent upon the counselor, 
when, if we understood the ministry of mutuality, how God uses the body, how God has equipped the body, it could be, and I think probably why coffee shops are so popular is because that's where ministry happens. So then the last one here is let us encourage one another. One other comment I want to make about mutuality, the ministry of mutuality, because a lot of people, you know, I, I know over the years a lot of people what, what, uh, uh, made people uh, 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 leery. Leery is because they, they might use the term pooling of ignorance. You know, it, it's one person because maybe they don't have the biblical depth talking and offering advice to somebody else. First thing we have to be clear, the first start is theology matters. It's the basis. See, accessibility and advocacy because of the sanctifier Jesus Christ is locked in. That is why when in context of a family, and we're going to study this coming up, why there are multiple gifts. This is all the more reason within a family, you know, who has the gift of knowledge in our community? Who has the gift of knowledge? We need those people rather than disengage, because I know sometimes they get frustrated, and I can understand that. Rather than disengage, we need them all the more engaged. We need them to uh, cultivate that family one anotherness themselves so that when they speak uh, about maybe a statement made, people receive and listen. Theologically, we are told that we can draw near. Let us consider, let us stir up, let us encourage one another. The ministry of this mutuality that considers one another, that opens the door to spurring one another because we want the best for you. We know that uh, you're bringing your life in line to glorify God. You will be a healthier person. Your family will be healthier. And let us encourage one another to love and good deeds. Let us encourage one another to love and good deeds. Often, you know, if you're like me, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm not one of those social, civic uh, people that are always out there. Uh, I know people who are, and I can latch on, and I can enjoy uh, coming alongside others. So often within family, you know, what I see happening, you know, you're, you're in a family or say a gospel community or whatever, the fun function or purpose, and somebody's just dreaming. It's almost like brainstorming. And somebody has this idea. And somebody else across the room says, yeah, have you thought about that out there in the community? I know that school and this is the situation. You know, we could do this for them. And then how it starts to percolate amongst different members. And all of a sudden, before you know it, it takes fire. And there is an internal passion within that community to be active. That's what this verse is telling us, to encourage one another with loving good deeds. Pollinate one another with what you see, how we can glorify God with that piece of our statement about being sent. Well... Let me tell you, I know why you may opt not to want to be in a, uh, you're stuck, you're stuck in your biological family, okay? You're stuck there. Nothing I can do about that. Your spiritual family, mm, you know, yeah, the universal church, you're stuck because when you receive Jesus Christ, but in terms of relationship with me, you can, uh, you can stay uh, 
arm's length away, or you can stay arm's length with one another, but you won't glorify God. Oh, you know, you, you may reflect God. L let me explain what I, what I mean here. I want to show you some pictures of why this is so important. I, I use this so often. Um, you know, I, I like these pictures because this is why you may not, it's hard to live in a family. Some families harder than others. Your biological family, I don't know your biological family. Church families aren't any easier. It's just maybe a little bit easier to, uh, to separate. But here you have, what, you know, but what makes it hard? Our individualism. Or, or, or what is it within us that wants a certain way? See, we're not talking now about theological truths. That's why theological truths have to be the anchor of the foundation. But what, what makes this tension is I want my way and that other person wants their way. And typical, we go through this process and finally, you can show the next slide, finally we get to the end of the rope, so to speak, we get so exhausted, we're so frustrated that we don't have any choice. We have to do something, otherwise we won't make it. And again, you can think about a family uh, marriage, but I'm thinking here in terms of church family, especially uh, uh, gospel communities. See, this is the value of living in community because you get to the point, you say, you know, if I'm going to make it, I got to change. I got to change. The minute you start looking at everybody else has to change and you start realizing you have to change, you become a healthier family member. You know, now ideally, the reason for change would be the great theological truths of God. You know, in other words, you know, man, now that I have accessibility to God, now that I have an advocate, all that is locked in, all that is secure. I can begin now relating from that healthy point of that is a given because of Christ. Then I can start relating to people differently through that lens. That's where theological truth has to be so saturated within our, our being that we can work it out in context when we have that differentness. See, this is spurring one another on to seize this for a positive good, that it would increase bringing glory to God. You know, I'm like you. You know, I'd want to cut the rope. But I want to tell you a story about me, um, a practical application. And when I share this story, uh, my story is not your story. Okay, the way it works, some people, circumstances... Cutting the rope is appropriate and needs to happen. Okay, so that's why I say this. Don't construe, I'm saying whatever your circumstances, oh, uh, Pastor Ed thinks I need to stay in it. That, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying, culturally, we have made it so easy to separate that we quickly go there when it's not in your best interest. It's of more interest to you to stay in and work it out in the context of that family to do your work, to do your work. We made it too easy to um, cut the rope. Okay, here's, here's my, my story. Um, 
I've been ministering here since 1984. That's right. 1984. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, when Faith, when they invited me to come, they asked for a five-year commitment. Yeah, I know. That's kind of funny. I didn't think I could make it past two years. I didn't think I could make it past two. Uh, the pastor, Pastor Al, most of you all know him. If not, he was here 38 years. So I worked a long time with him. But about two years in, you know, Al came to my office, and you could say he was a spur. He agitated me. He irritated me. Only because he believed in me. Only because he saw something greater down the road was he willing to do that. So he came into me. Uh, it wasn't about anything personal. It was pastoral, more philosophical about doing ministry. And, um, and, and then he left. And man, I was just mad. I, I was mad. And a couple of hours later, uh, he came back to my office and he said, let's go to lunch. And I remember it was taco time. We used to have a taco time here in, in town. It's, and while at lunch, just a few hours removed from him conf confronting or being this spur, uh, uh, um, he asked me, how do you feel? And I said, I feel like quitting. He said, that's the worst thing you could do. See, everything within me uh, did not want to do the hard work. What God was calling me to do there is, Ed, quit looking out there. What I want to do is in you. Uh, leave me to take care of out there. I'm God, and I'll have to take care of them. But do you see that you need to change? And that uh, began a process of change that has been ongoing and is still ongoing. And the biggest uh, catalyst that God's Spirit has used, certainly for me, is community who become healthier as a community and they start becoming this catalyst by practicing some of these uh, things, by considering one another, by spurring one another, by encouraging one another. That's what we want for you. That's what we want for you. I learned that many of the things that were obstacles, like say with Al and that little picture I gave you, Many of the obstacles that created that tension at that point in time, as I realized what they were in here, and I started to deal with those, I found myself automatically getting nearer to God. Because the same things that keep me alienated or far from people often is what's keeping you far from God. And so family, gospel community, whatever you call it, making sure that you have a group that has that purpose or function is to give you a context whereby you can identify and begin overcoming those obstacles that keep you far. So we come to the Lord's Supper. Uh, he invites you to draw near. He invites you to draw near. And we want for you not just a, an idea, not just a concept, we want it to become a reality. We want you to slowly start to understand what are those things that keep me far from God that I can start to uh, identify and release them so that in reality, I know I am nearer to God. 
And that's why we encourage you, find a group. Find a group. That's what we are here to help you for. Let's pray. Uh, those who are serving communion, come forward. And Father, God, you did not just provide the way, but you provided a means. And part of the means is this one anotherness, how we work out living as a family, oftentimes messy, sometimes frustrating, sometimes mad. Sometimes we want to quit, but that's probably exactly the time that your spirit can speak the loudest to us if we are willing to look at ourselves. God, thank you for this challenge that we see in Scripture, learning what it means to be family. We want to become better at it, that it would become the catalyst to help people draw near, and this is only possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the bread, the body of Christ. Your sacrifice. Amen.